0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. It's five o'clock Friday afternoon, my name's Jacob, here with you on Community Radio Station 3TR, and this is a Friday raid. Oh well, here I am in Sydney, and it's Wednesday as I walk from where the thumping pig is parked down in Glebe, through an almost deserted, what would you call it, Darling Harbour sort of Chinatown part of town. It's pretty quiet here, police are out on the streets though. Questioning people, not me. I'm a middle-aged white man in the suit, so I can go anywhere. Ah, oh, dear, it's amazing, isn't it? Good suit, iron shirt, polished boots, hair tied back, clean shave. Ah, oh, and a laptop bag, of course. The cop is just not as I walk by, assuming I've got some important business with capitalism to attend to, and I guess I have. No idea, I guess that I'm homeless and I'm a doll and live in an old bust and I'm on my way to agitate on behalf of prisoners' rights, or that as I'm talking into the phone, walking down through the streets here, I'm recording a little piece for a Friday rave on 3CR, Radical Radio, 855 on your AM dial in Melbourne, through the W's at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital. What they don't know won't hurt them, I guess, and more importantly, it won't hurt me. And you know what? I'm passing the, um, for people who know Sydney, I'm passing the outside wall of the Chinese Friendship Garden, which is closed at the moment, um, for COVID, of course, um there's no suggestion that we haven't got a friendship program with China anymore, is there? And, um, oh, what can I say? I reckon it would be appropriate, if not just a tad ironic, if I find myself a place on one of the seats outside the wall, Because the reason I just opened it is as I was walking into town, my phone started dinging, as it always does, and I looked at it. And this time it was a um, whole batch of media releases um, coming through from various military mobs, as they do most days. And I figured it was about time I returned to doing a little bit or a few little bits and pieces on what the military industrial complex is up to right now. Not just the big ticket items like subs and missiles and shit, but Maybe all the little things. And anyway, so I'm going to sit down outside the Chinese Friendship Garden in one of these seats and um, um, find a connection and fire up the old laptop and I'll get back to you after I've done a little bit of research. um, There's one press release which got me in particular from a mob called Accenture. Back to you in a minute. (laughs)
1: The world around us is accelerating. Defending our nations is becoming more complex as the pace of change and diversity of threats continue to grow. Fortunately, new technologies are fueling the next wave of mission capabilities changing the way we live work and defend our nations at Accenture we are leading in the new helping our clients get ahead of the decision loop of adversaries by harnessing the power of disruption and innovation we are able to deliver the solutions to accelerate advantage now and ensure mission readiness human-centered design is at the heart of all we do Ensuring the solutions we deliver meet the real expectations of the men and women who depend on them. Today, through a virtual reality solution, we are enabling pilots to visualize, refine, brief and rehearse their combat missions before they strap into their jets. It's an innovative approach that has transformed mission planning into an immersive, multi-domain, multi-participant 3D environment. Today we are automating intelligence for warfighters with video analytics and data fusion, extracting insights from multiple sources for a holistic operating picture. Today we are shifting the cyber balance of power by helping our clients engage in the proactive defense measures needed to hunt, defend and outmaneuver adversaries. Today we are putting critical health insights into the hands of military leaders and power into the hands of soldiers through a precision health insight tool, a smart device that leverages analytics, big data, and advanced visualizations for a holistic view of both individual and unit readiness before deployment, providing an instant view of force readiness. Today, we are supporting defense personnel and their families to smoothly relocate and settle into a new posting. Adopting user-centered design, a personalized mobile tool guides personnel through the multitude of tasks associated with the new posting, ensuring they feel supported and informed about their relocation. Today, through the application of stated preference analytics across the workforce, we are helping to promote diverse, engaged armed forces by supporting a modern working environment in which personnel can flex their commitment in line with personal demands. Today, we are supporting positive personalized engagement across the entire defense community. With a digitally enabled smart portal, we are tailoring content and transactions to individual personnel, helping to make management of national service and reservist commitments easier. We are bringing the power of Accenture's local and global community of experts in advanced technology, billions of dollars of investment in research and development, and strategic alliances and partnership together to serve our client's mission today. We are leading in the new, harnessing the power of disruption and innovation, putting it to work to accelerate Advantage now.
0: One of the things that usually surprised to me when I'm having a look around arms companies' websites, which is something I do quite regularly, is that while they all carry on about technology and cutting edge innovation, their web presence, by and large, is pretty shitful. Mostly, they look pretty damn unimpressive, like, you know, the kind of stuff that community groups were doing 10 years ago. Not so with Accenture, which is why I just played that clip. And smooth as it was, The audio alone doesn't do it justice. Have a look around their website. And um, yeah, just for a bit of a laugh. Anyway, you'd hope they'd be pretty slick because Accenture are a consultancy firm that specialises in high-tech whiz-bangry. Not bullets and missile stuff whiz-bangry, but in the sense of all the admin and human resources and battle planning and the like moving into cyberspace. Depressor that being my phone just now, those got my attention was headed Imperatives for Digital Defence. It reads, There is no doubt we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty with the ongoing pandemic escalating geopolitical trade tensions while simultaneously accelerating the pace of digital transformation across all industries. You know, in recent times you've seen threats increasingly being made against Australia's national security prompting the spotlight in Australia's defence capabilities and our capacity to confront looming threats. Anyway, on it goes. Nature of military action is involving, armed forces must be ready, ineffective, pan-domain, operations, blah, 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 before launching into a concept called digital twinning. Now, digital twinning is about recreating a real-life battle in cyberspace and digital Twin can also be used in other areas, but it's it's a forerunner in the military. So it's about recreating a real life battle in cyberspace in real time. Think of drone warfare, but on steroids, where just about everything is automated, and the things that can't yet be automated, like fighter pilots, a twin with a pilot of the console somewhere that can co-pilot with him, or even two, or three, or four, for that matter. Everything. Happening in real time. Reduces the risk, gives more foreknowledge, and on it goes. Now, great, I'm not any technology, but when you think about things that are actually threatening us at the moment, the threats from the region, they really, of course, mean China, they are not the problem. You don't need me to tell you what the problems are. You deal with them every day. You see them every day. You have to put up with them every day. But what struck me about this particular niche of warmongering is not only the pushing of the China, the C-word threat, to create a market for Accenture's matrix-like technology, but the missed opportunity, folks, of how this kind of cutting-edge shit could and should be used in a whole range of areas. Education, health services, yeah. Look, even working out the best place to put a bloody commuter car park, if it came down to it, yeah. But no, we can duplicate the real world in real time and throw amazing resources into war, but we can't manage a vaccine rollout. But then, as I've said many times before, it's not really about war, but the rumours of war. Greedy pig dog capitalist death merchants like Accenture. Look, those of you old enough may remember as Anderson Consulting. Remember the Enron scandal of 2001? Well, they were the auditors who shredded the paperwork and got done for it, but that's beside the point. They changed their name. As I was saying, greedy pig-dog capitalist war mongers like Accenture or Anderson make an absolute killing out of not so much selling tech and weapons, but out of diverting money from the public purse that could be used to make life more bloody bearable. You know, it's like the old song. They hang the man and flog the woman that steal the goose from off the commons, yet let the greater villain loose that steals the commons off the goose. It's what they're doing. It's what they've been doing since. That's from the 1640s, and they've been doing it ever since. they are taking the resources, the capital, the wealth of the people, and they're turning it into war. Worse. They create a niche need. They convince people that this is what's needed to save us from attacks from the bad guys. And once they've put the fear of God or rather the fear of China into you, they fill it. You know, that'd be, it'd be bad enough diverting resources, but doing it through the evocation of fear, there's too much fear around right now. You know, talk about the need for war, make people afraid. So it just gets to me. Sorry. Actually, no, I'm not, sorry. Anyway, who put this shit out there? A bloke by the name of Matt Gollings, the Global Managing Director of Anderson, sorry, Accenture's defence business. An Australian, Matt Gollings, spent 14 years of his life in the Air Force, where he was engineering officer, specialising in um, implementing IT projects. Another case of revolving door between government, military and arms companies. But Matt isn't the only ex-military bloke working for Anderson. Sorry, Accenture. They're heavily involved with a mob called With You With Me. Their main partner, in fact. With You With Me. Great name, isn't it? With You With Me. We're all in this together. It's an employment agency for ex-military, making sure that the expertise people develop while, the, while in the armed services is able to be matched with the needs of the defence industry and not just expertise, their contacts, their networks. Anderson, sorry Accenture, is absolutely brimming with veterans and enable them to extend their networks and policy advice and sale pitches right into the very heart of the military. Anyway, enough about Matt Gollings and Accenture. They're a dirty mob, to be sure, but they're only one of many. (laughs) Yeah, you're listening to a Friday Ray with me, Jacob, on Community Radio 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, through all the W's at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital. But I was just speaking about revolving doors in the last bit. Now, Paul Dibb is still going round and round revolving doors. Paul is Emeritus Professor of Strategic Studies at the ANU. And used to be the director of the Defence Intelligence Organisation and deputy director of the Department of Defence. In short, he's a defence boffin. Now, back in the 80s, he was the author of the eponymously named Dib Report, um, commissioned by Bomber Beasley, who was Defence Minister. Later on, became on the board of um, Lockheed Martin and left that to become governor of WA. Anyway, the Dib Report of the mid 80s was a bit of a departure Um, for the tacitly accepted foreign policy of Australia and as much as it called for less reliance on the US and more engagement with our region. Um, Nowadays, Paul mainly seems to pontificate through his role with the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Now, I mention a Dib report because he's written a couple of pieces this month, a couple of weeks ago in The Australian and this week in The Strategist. And both pieces are based around China's Um, Global Times, um, which is an organ of the um, Chinese Communist Party, um, threatening Australia with retaliatory punishment with missile strikes on, quote, the military facilities and relevant key facilities on Australian soil, if we send Australian Defence Force troops to assist the US and participate in a war with the People's Liberation Army over Taiwan. The paper's exact wording, had to look it up, was... China has a strong production capability, including producing additional long-range missiles with conventional warheads that target military objectives in Australia when the situation becomes highly tense. Now, fair enough, it's a threat. If we go to war against China over Taiwan, which China has always declared is part of China, then they'll attack. But a key phrase in the threat is, as Dib rightly points out, conventional nuclear weapons, that is, not nukes. Now, I reckon this is a way of saying that China stands by its um, non-nuclear first strike policy, while at the same time making it known that they could attack without nukes. The other key phrase in threat is um, target military objectives, that is, not population centres, but places like Pine Gap and Northwest Cape. Okay, maybe the population centre of Darwin, as it's where the Marines are based. Now, Paul makes a bit of a startling revelation in The Australian, and that is, and I quote, In my experience in the late 1970s and 80s, Moscow made it clear to us that attacks on Pine Gap, Narangara, and Northwest Cape would occur in the context of an all-out nuclear war. Okay? It made it clear, Moscow did. And to think, you know, that whole time that he was in the DOD, they denied that those places were, in fact, nuclear targets. But the most important part of his article is acknowledging that this threat is, is also, in part, a warning to the US because it needs places like Pine Gap to conduct any war against Taiwan. So another thing, and I think the main thing China is saying is directed not at Australia, but at the US. And it's the most worrying thing for Australia. Now, before I say what it is, I've been saying for some time that there won't be an all-out war between the US and China because both countries know that it would be devastating and neither side can make a profit out of it. If there is a limited war, it would be undertaken by proxies on one or both sides. Now, Australia is most likely to be the US proxy. In which case, China is saying, and this is the important part of the threat, I think, that the attacks will be limited to conventional attacks on Australia. Setting the rules, one could say. Now, Paul Dibb, who authored the report that led to Australia, at least on paper, under the Hawke government, and remember, these were the days before the first Iraq war, when peace rallies were massive, and the broad left, and in particular the union movement, were unapologetically anti war, in a way they're not now. And anti war stance was still a very necessary part of the ALP keeping grassroots support. Dib provided the intellectual rationale that enabled the Hawke government to appear to be pursuing something of an independent military policy, while of course keeping the actual game to business as usual, as was made all too clear when Hawke threw it, you know, threw in the Australian military with the US in um, 1990 after the invasion of Kuwait. Anyhow, while Dib was talking independent policy, Minister Beasley was still gung-ho all the way with the USA, but there was no question that ANZUS was the cornerstone of Australia's defence policy and would remain so. The ANZUS Treaty has just occurred to me now that it turned 70 in um, September, the 1st, I think, 1951. I think it was ratified... The next year. But anyway, September 1951. 70 years old. I should probably do a show about it. Anyhow, the ANZUS Treaty, in the popular imagination, is a guarantee that the US would defend Australia if it were attacked. In reality, it does no such thing. doesn't even come close. More on that, I guess. So I'll do a rave about it. Danger of going down a rabbit hole. Dib, in his Australian article, comes clean on this and actually calls... On Australia to get, and I quote this, a much clearer understanding from our US ally about extended deterrence, including not just nuclear deterrence, but also conventional deterrence against Chinese long range threat missiles with conventional warheads. Unquote. Now, okay, the international politics in regard to China have changed, and I'm not here to accuse Paul of bullshitness back then as things change. And I guess positions must change too. My position has changed since 1985, for Christ's sake. But my point here is that a man largely regarded as Australia's most eminent military strategist comes out in one article telling us not only are the US military installations targets, previously from the Soviets and now from China, but that Australia does not really have a clear understanding of the role that Australia would play if we were indeed invaded even if that invasion is in retaliation to our acting as a proxy on behalf of the US in its financial war with China and all wars are financial wars. Let that sink in for a moment. The former director of Defence Intelligence Organisation, it was called the um, Joint Intelligence Organisation back then, Paul Dibb, author of the Dibb Report, which laid the basis for Australian defence policy for a quarter of a century, is telling us that he is concerned about the possibility of retaliation by China because he knows that the much lord of answers treaty does not necessarily offer Australia any assistance from the US in case of invasion. Has that sunk in yet? Later in the article, Dib goes on to say that the time is rapidly approaching for us to consider acquiring a missile system capable of defending us against ballistic missile attacks. A view that he fills out in a strategist this week after writing up all the moves China is making to build up more missiles, a point that was made in the feature article in Australia last weekend, by the way, he writes, quote, the main point here for Australia is that unless we acquire missiles with ranges in excess of 4,000 K, we won't be able to retaliate against an attack on us. Before saying that, and again I quote, in any case, for a country... Of our size to consider attacking the territory of a larger power like China isn't a credible option. And that resolving the threat posed depends on Washington make it clear to Beijing that any missile attack on Australia would provoke an immediate response by the US on China itself. Sounds like things have just ratcheted up a notch. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. To finish Thursday night as I'm putting this together, um, and the Productivity Commission today released its report into the National Agreement on Closing the Gap. Now, I'm not talking about Pine Gap here, folks, but the gap between the health and quality of life between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. And the results? Well, you don't need me to tell you what the results are, and I don't need to... Bloody productivity commission to tell me but it is interesting to note that not even this government can spin the fact that so far it has failed dismally you can't follow the progress on the closing the gap website because it looks like it's hardly been updated since it was launched launched with a flourish i'm going to say a year or so ago but you can look at the figures number of indigenous prisoners not just in absolute terms, but as a percentage of the population and as a percentage of the prisoner population. Now, 30% of all prisoners in Australia today are Indigenous, even though they only make up 3% roundabout of the population. So the percentage of both, them as prisoners and of the number of Indigenous people incarcerated, both of them have gone up. You know, the number of Aboriginal women incarcerated, thrown in jail, locked up, I think probably around half of them without charge or having committed a crime has more than doubled in the last 10 years. How the hell does that work? We've got women in prison, Aboriginal women in prison without having committed a crime. The suicide rate amongst Indigenous people has risen. Again, closing the gap. And now suicide is the highest cause of death for Indigenous kids aged between 5 and 17. How the hell did we let that happen? How is it that most of us aren't so aware of this that it stays in the forefront of our minds every bleeding day? As we mate Robbie says, as he would have said in the radio this afternoon, Australia is a crime scene. And the biggest issue we're all aware of, black deaths in custody, one of the main targets of the Closing the Gap program. Well, so far this year, there have been nine, and it's only July. And those nine direct deaths, deaths in custody, they're just that, direct. They don't include the suicide, the, the deaths from drugs and alcohol and other health issues, that are a direct result themselves of the same policies, the same policing that puts Indigenous people in jail to start with. It's a bloody shame. One year of the closing the gap and things are worse than ever. Yet, the news cycles are full of Corona and Olympics. That's how they get away with it, folks. But on that note, I'm just about out of time here on a Friday rave and I'll rave more at you
1: next week. <music>